child. Behold my true face. Oh my god. Yes. We'll just hit the fan a minute. Let's get this over with, shall we? Make your wishes. Three wishes, Alexandra. Doesn't that intrigue you? Just a little. Anything you want. Anything? You ask for anything. I must grant it. A trip to the moon. A visit to Barrow's Egypt. What happened if I wished you dead? Why, how remarkably original, Alexandra. I'll tell you what. I'll give you one free wish. A sample. Get you into the spirit of the game. All right. I want you to destroy yourself. Blow your brains out. Right now. Very well. That which is eternal cannot die. But if it's any consolation, sweet Alex, that hurt like hell. In a world overflowing with movies, we need a hero. Someone to separate the bad from the good. Welcome to Verbal Diorama, episode 226, Wishmaster. This is the podcast that's all about the history and legacy of movies you know and movies you don't. And as always, hi, hello, welcome to Verbal Diorama. Whether you are a brand new listener, whether you are a regular returning listener, thank you for being here. Thank you for choosing to listen to this podcast. I'm always so grateful that everyone keeps coming back episode after episode to listen to me talk about the history and legacy of movies. But I'm so happy to have you here for the history and legacy of Wishmaster. And before I grant all of your wishes for this episode, I just want to say as always, I'm so grateful for the amazing reactions to recent episodes. So the episode that I did on Jaws 2, Jaws 3D and Jaws the Revenge and also the Lost World Jurassic Park. And it's interesting, really, because we are going from a movie from 1997 into a completely different movie from 1997. And be honest, was this on your Verbal Diorama episode wish list? Because if it was, well, then I guess just call me Verbal Ginorama. So we're moving from sequel Temper over to the traditionally horror filled October. And we're starting with a total gore fest, something that is cheesy, camp and totally memorable. And while Wishmaster might not have the cinematic legacy of a Halloween or a Friday the 13th, it definitely has cult appeal, longevity and a truly twisted horror character who could, given the chance, have easily stood alongside Freddy and Jason as a horror icon. Plus this movie seriously hints at its Hellraiser roots. I would personally love to see the Jin take on a character like Pinhead. But speaking of horror icons, have you ever wanted to see a movie starring Freddy Krueger, 
Jason Voorhees and the Candyman where all of them meet a grisly end. Well, your wish is my command. Here's the trailer for Wishmaster. Watch that crate, that's very expensive. For centuries, he has remained hidden. Watching. Waiting. You And now, he is coming. He knows your secret hopes. He sees your private dreams. And he can grant your every desire. Well, I'm not a <laughs> greedy man. How about a million dollars? I remember a certain potentate whose last party was talked about for centuries. Oh, God, how I'd love to host a party like that. I wish to be beautiful forever. Even if it kills you. As you wish. <laughs> Time, three forms of life were created man the angels and the jinn a race of beings bent on humanity's destruction and ruling earth but the jinn can only take over when a human wakes them and asks for three wishes and the jinn has a way to turn the person's wildest dreams into their worst nightmares in the present day 1997 us a statue carrying the jewel that holds the jinn hostage is destroyed and young gemologist Alexandra Amberson accidentally wakes the djinn and releases him into the world. He starts to gather souls and haunt Alex's dreams, just so she will make three wishes and complete his mission to unleash hell on Earth. Let's run through the cast of this movie. We have Tammy Lauren as Alexandra Amberson, Andrew Devoff as the djinn, aka Nathaniel Demarest, Robert Englund as Raymond Beaumont, Chris Lemon as Nick Merritt, Wendy Benson as Shannon Amberson, Tony Crane as Josh Aitman, Jenny O'Hara as Wendy Derleth, Rico Ross as Lieutenant Nathanson, and Gretchen Palmer as Ariella. And this movie features a whole host of cameos from Ted Raimi as Ed Finney, Kane Hodder as Merritt's security guard, Tony Todd as Johnny Valentine, George Buck Flower as the homeless man, Joseph Pilato as Torelli, Reggie Bannister as the pharmacist, Tom Savini as the man in the pharmacy, Vern Troyer as the gin's first form, and Angus Scrim as the narrator. Wishmaster was written by Peter Atkins and was directed by Robert Kurtzman. And thanks to Wes Craven's Scream's enormous success, the horror subgenre experienced a significant resurgence in 1997. And this produced a number of similar slasher rip-offs, but there were also horror films that dared to be different and took calculated risk. Wishmaster, a low-budget horror released in 1997, is the perfect example of a horror movie that knows not to take itself too seriously 
while also be able to honour the numerous influential horror and slasher films from the past that made it possible. Wishmaster was very much in the vein of late 90s horror. While this was no Nightmare on Elm Street or Friday the 13th, but it would have links to both, nor was it a Hellraiser, but again had links to that franchise too, it would have some of horror's biggest names behind the scenes, notably Robert Kurtzman directing and Wes Craven producing. Craven was heavily inserted into the marketing and his name alone would ensure bums on seats after the huge success of Scream the year prior. Kurtzman was known for his special effects work, forming KNB EFX Group in 1988 alongside Gregory Nicotero and Howard Berger. Kurtzman would do the makeup and special makeup effects in Night of the Creeps, A Nightmare on Elm Street 3 Dream Warriors, Creature Effects in Predator, special makeup effects on Evil Dead 2, Phantasm 2, even Creature Effects in Tremors. Kurtzman would also have a link to a future episode this month too. Basically, horror of the 80s and 90s was reliant on the skills of Kurtzman and those like him. And while Wishmaster wasn't his directorial debut, it was the project he'd be most well known for directing. Also here is Harry Manfredini, the same guy who scored Friday the 13th. Basically, what I'm saying is, you might not realise it, but Wishmaster has serious horror pedigree. Maybe this production practised what it preached and summoned its own gin. To many of us, the idea of a genie evokes Robin Williams ad-libbing and joking in Disney's Aladdin. A genie who has the best interests of his master at heart. A genie who just wants to be free. There's a magical lamp and there's always three wishes, which sound too good to be true. And that's because, according to Arabic folklore, it usually is. The word genie is a westernised term for the Arabic word jinn. Ancient demons and spirits that will literally give you what you wish for, but as always, you should be careful what you wish for. Spirits like the jinn don't exclusively appear in Arabic or Islamic folklore. They're most commonly known from the tales like Arabian Nights, but the Quran frequently makes reference to them too. Jinn have the ability to become invisible to human eyes. Because of this, legends claim that humans are only able to perceive dim, hazy and ill-defined hints of the existence of jinn. They can be either male or female, and they can exist independently or attach themselves to inanimate objects, particularly old objects where they can live and travel, such as a lamp or a semi-precious stone like an opal. They live in a parallel dimension that is distinct from the world of humans and all other known worlds called the void between worlds. In Islam, it's said that God created three different species of sentient beings, angels, humans and jinn. Jinn are said to have originated from the smokeless flame and can either be good, evil or neutral. Little is known about them, but it is known that they have free will like humans, but not like angels. So they are free to make their own decisions and come judgment day, they will be assessed and assigned to either heaven or hell. And the background behind Jinn is probably worth an episode in itself. There's so much information on the internet if you are interested on the history of jinn and how jinn are featured in the quran especially but these fascinating stories are exactly where the idea for this movie came from but it didn't come from writer peter atkins initially he was asked to write wishmaster by producer david trippett after his screenplays for hellbound hellraiser 2 hellraiser 3 hell on earth and hellraiser bloodline trippett asked him if he'd be interested in writing a horror movie about an evil genie 
Akin's original response was to think the idea was dumb, but then he started researching the history and mythology of jinn and became fascinated with the idea of a jinn who would draw you in with the prospect of getting everything your heart desired, but would twist the wish to the jinn's own manipulations. He intentionally made the surnames of some of the characters in the film, such as Beaumont, Finney, Etchison, Clegg, Derleth, Merritt and Aikman, match the names of writers of horror and fantasy fiction. And while most horror is based on fictional stories, Wishmaster actually does its best to be faithful to the original Arabic and Islamic stories of jinn, and even to the extent of mentioning Ahura Mazda, the statue containing the fire opal imprisoning the jinn. Raymond Beaumont mentions that the Ahura Mazda statue he was waiting for was the deity of Zoroastrianism. This was an early monotheistic religion that existed in ancient Persia centuries before Islam, at its core, Zoroastrianism emphasises a never-ending battle between good and evil, a contest between the religion's god, Ahura Mazda, and an evil spirit, Ahriman. Believers have the freedom to make good or bad choices, and they were exhorted by Zoroaster to think good thoughts, say good words, and do good deeds. And it's ironic that the movie places the fire opal within the statue of Ahura Mazda, who's a benevolent god, and the literal translation is Ahura, which is Lord, and Mazda, which is wisdom, so Lord of Wisdom or Wise Lord, who governs all that is good in the world. While Atkins wrote the script, the producers knew it would be an effects-heavy production and decided to get a director with visual effects experience, hiring the K in KMBE effects group, Robert Kurtzman, after Sam Raimi suggested him after his work on Evil Dead 2 and Army of Darkness. Before being given the challenging task of shooting, editing and releasing a movie under the time limit of just six months, Kurtzman had only directed one previous feature, The Demolitionist, and so this would only be possible if he pulled out all the stops, asked for a lot of favours, and assembled a group of like-minded people to carry out his vision for Wishmaster, which also had a constrained 33-day filming schedule, and literally hundreds of effects to be accomplished. And I'm going to come back to the effects in a bit. Director of photography Jacques Haitkin described his vision for the movie and why he got involved as a giant complex puzzle that he could get lost in. But before they did any of that, they needed to cast their gin, and they struck gold with Andrew Devoff. Robert Kurtzman was a fan of a movie he'd done called Toy Soldiers, and a friend of his, John Esposito, was one of the co-writers on Graveyard Shift, the film adaptation of the Stephen King short story that had starred Devoff. Esposito had spoken to Kurtzman about Devoff and suggested he might be a great candidate for the evil djinn. Andrew Devoff, who wanted to model himself on the greats like Boris Karloff and Bela Lugosi, met with Robert Kurtzman, who had very precise ideas about the djinn and the character of Nathaniel, originally conceiving having two different actors for each role. That idea changed once he met Devoff, who not only speaks eight languages, but also wanted to embody the two characters and wanted to design the voice and mannerisms of each so they were alike, but also different. And when I say different, I mean completely different because the makeup effects on this movie were insane. The gin makeup and wardrobe were the responsibility of Karen Wagner, who designed the gin costume, and Garrett Immel and Gino Crognali, who were in charge of the gin's prosthetic makeup. Once the makeup was on and with the gin's chest cowl, Devoff gained about 45 pounds. Add to that the remote control motor, which operated the articulating tentacles on the gin's head. Devoff would spend three and a half hours every day in the makeup chair to apply the look, and an hour and a half at the end of every day in removals. 
And the makeup, wardrobe and technical features helped to give the gin an impressive appearance, but it also brought about the happy accident of the gin's very deep voice. Devoff's first night in the gin makeup made him realise he would probably not be able to eat a meal while in that makeup, and so he opted for protein shakes and jelly beans to keep him going during filming. And it turned out that the whey in the shakes caused his throat to produce more phlegm than usual, which produced the gin's trademark deep and gravelly voice. For the lead character of Alexandra, the producers and studio wanted someone who was up and coming on the cusp of being a big name. They had someone in mind she'd just starred in a movie that had buzz but hadn't yet been released. That movie was Starship Troopers. That's episode 147 of this podcast, by the way. And if you're thinking it was Denise Richards, well, no, you'd be wrong. It was actually Dina Meyer. But during casting, Robert Kurtzman had seen a little-known actor called Tammy Lauren. And Lauren was fairly unknown, but he felt she had the right look for Alexandra. What she didn't have was the sports acumen. The character of Alex plays tennis with her best friend Josh and coaches a girls' basketball team. Tammy Lauren, by her own admission, could do neither of those things. When Kurtzman asked her to do a shot to get the basketball in the net, she just couldn't do it. So Alex teaches her girls and specifically teaches them stillness, but doesn't actually demonstrate that. Lauren would relish the opportunity to be the final girl in a horror movie, and not just that, one that actually has agency, a backstory. Clearly this character has trauma, maybe a bit of PTSD from the fire that killed her parents. But for a 90s movie, she's remarkably well fleshed out. And this movie was made for a little over $5 million, and it's clear where that money went. Practical effects. Glorious, gory, great practical effects that just make this movie so much more enjoyable than it would otherwise be. The 90s CGI has admittedly aged badly, but in parts the CGI was necessary just to make shots work. The scene, for example, where Alex wishes the gin blow his brains out was originally going to be a practical effect, but the blowback from the squib gave Andrew Devoff a concussion. Instead, the VFX team created a composite of his head going back together after his brains go everywhere, and it ended up saving the shot, and it meant they didn't need to reshoot and potentially cause Andrew Devoff another concussion. It might not look brilliant by today's standards, but it did the job. There were at least three different effects crews on deck on this movie, some handling various kill scenes, others tackling makeup effects, while others perfecting costume design. Even the cinematography is unique in that every scene is brightly lit but not invasive. Every bloody detail pops and glistens in the light, and the oozing gore from the gruesomely moving prosthetics and effects are lingered on just enough to see all the details, even when, like the pharmacist's quote-unquote cancer, probably aren't accurate, but maybe a doctor listening could confirm this diagnosis. Filming on Wishmaster went pretty much without a hitch, and by all accounts everyone had a great time making the movie. This was despite a fire stunt going wrong and almost engulfing the set with flames and smoke. During production the set was broken into after hours and several cameras were stolen, and apparently this did make the local news. But while much of the CG here is just there to do the job, it is the practical effects where this movie shines, and getting a visual effects guy to direct just makes so much sense. Kurtzman was so hands-on with the effects, and when you have set pieces and effects like this, it does make the movie stand out. And it is an exceptional effects showcase where everything from snake people and skeletons escaping from the human body to women turning into glass and impaling everyone and piano wires weaponising themselves into macabre murder tools. 
Everything practical looks original, gross and expertly done. Speaking of the piano wild, that's the director Robert Kurtzman being killed in a cameo. And much of the crew did cameo in this movie, as well as makeup legend Tom Savini and special effects maestro Greg Nicotero. This was before going on to becoming showrunner of The Walking Dead. Greg Nicotero did a lot of the special effects for Wishmaster. But obviously, the main horror-centric cameos were a huge coup for this movie. Kane Hodder, who plays Jason Voorhees in Friday the 13th Part 7, The New Blood. Friday the 13th Part 8, Jason Takes Manhattan. Jason Goes to Hell the Final Friday and Jason X would relish the rare opportunity to play someone not hidden behind a mask. And Robert Englund was similarly excited to get a meaty part as the antiques collector Raymond Beaumont, mostly because it avoided the many torturous hours in the makeup trailer every morning for the Nightmare on Elm Street movies. And with Tony Todd in the mix too, it almost feels a little bit like a passing of the torch in a way, even though that torch didn't seem to get passed eventually, uh, as I'm going to come to with the direct-to-video sequels. But I guess speaking of passing the torch, there is no easy way to segue into it, but the obligatory Keanu reference for this episode. So this is a part of the podcast where I try to link the movie that I'm featuring with Keanu Reeves for no reason other than he is the best of men. And everyone knows that Keanu Reeves is not only the best of men, but he is a genuinely wonderful human being. And he actually made a wish come true for a 16-year-old with kidney disease in Louisiana back in 2019. Young Emily counted Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure as her favourite movie and her make-a-wish was to meet Keanu Reeves in person. But Keanu, because he is the best of men, did one better. He actually arranged for them to spend the day together on the set of Bill and Ted Face the Music, which he was shooting in her state of Louisiana at that time. And they got to sit down together, she got to ask him questions and she also got to have lunch with the cast and crew and watch a scene being filmed as well. So if you want your wish to come true, maybe speak to Keanu instead of the gin. As I mentioned at the top of this episode, the score was by Harry Manfredini, who's composed most of the scores for the Friday the 13th franchise. And this is a composer with over 200 credits to his name, most of them in the horror genre. So getting him here was not only a no-brainer, it was again a huge coup for this movie. But as I said, the big marketing ploys for this movie were not only the huge cameos from previous horror movie villains, but also the involvement of Wes Craven. So much so that the movie was marketed as Wes Craven Presents Wishmaster. This appealed to horror fans, but not really to the general public. And people expecting another scream would probably be slightly disappointed. Some interesting post-release marketing for this movie included Wishmaster's very own action figure. McFarlane released the Gin action figure in September 2002, a six-inch figure in its Movie Maniac Series 5 with neck, shoulder, elbow, wrist, waist, hip and upper shin articulation. You also get a multi-point cape, gemstone and a custom poster stand, not suitable for children under the age of eight, apparently. You can buy one on eBay for anything between $40 to $55 mint in box. Plus, there was also an official novelisation of Wishmaster, written by Christian Francis and published in 2020. Wishmaster was released on the 19th of September 1997 and opened at a respectable third place at the US box office with In-N-Out out the same week. That went to number one. 
But would you believe another big movie came out the same week and Wishmaster beat that one into fourth place? Remember a little movie called LA Confidential? Yep, Wishmaster and LA Confidential came out the same week and Wishmaster prevailed. Unfortunately, Wishmaster wouldn't stay in the charts and didn't have the longevity of LA Confidential, nor did it have the awards acclaim. It would, however, be the only film in its franchise to have a theatrical release and a fairly successful one at that, because on its just over $5 million budget, Wishmaster would make $15.7 million, which meant it was a financial success at the very least. And despite its low budget and fairly innocuous presence in horror cinema, Wishmaster remains a largely popular 90s horror flick, enough for the series to get a basic Blu-ray box set a few years ago, and the Wishmaster himself, Andrew Devoff, is still highly active in the horror community. He often appears at conventions and engages with followers on social media. He refers to the Wishmaster fans as Helikids and Beernuts in honour of the Wishmaster and his own brewery. Unfortunately though, Wishmaster was kind of savaged by critics. On Rotten Tomatoes, it has an approval rating of 25%. And the site's consensus reads, Wishmaster searches for horror in the exploits of a supernatural being, one whose powers, alas, evidently do not include the ability to summon a compelling script. Which is really harsh, actually, because you don't tend to go to horror like this for the script. Well, I don't, anyway. I just love the practical effects. And really, that's where this movie absolutely shines. Wishmaster was followed by Wishmaster 2 Evil Never Dies, Wishmaster 3 Beyond the Gates of Hell, and Wishmaster 4 The Prophecy Fulfilled. Robert Kurtzman and Peter Atkins didn't return for Wishmaster 2. Kurtzman would give his reason as simply that he found out it was going direct-to-video and he was a theatrical director now and didn't want to do direct-to-video stuff. Andrew Devoff would return for Wishmaster 2 Evil Never Dies but wouldn't return for any of the others but he has expressed a wish to return to the franchise at some point. He clearly loves the gin and would love to reprise the role. I mean, maybe if he wishes hard enough, then um, I guess we'll see. But it's not beyond the realm of possibility in a Hollywood that relies on existing IP that perhaps there is some producer somewhere who sees Wishmaster as a possible reinvention or legacy sequel or something like that. Never say never in Hollywood. Wishmaster references benevolent genies like Aladdin's genie and I Dream of Genie and tells us we need to rip up the rule book. With the history of Jin surrounded by fascinating myth and legend, it's surprising it's taken this long for a malevolent genie story, especially in a cinematic genre that relishes the fact that humans do dumb things and evil beings cause havoc because of it. Wishmaster is genuinely one of my favourite horror films because it's dumb and it knows it. It asks questions like, how do we make a genie relevant? Let's get rid of the lamp and utilise a fire opal and make the final girl a gemologist, of course. And how does the djinn take on a human form? Does he have the power to mimic humans? Well, actually, no. He rips off their faces and puts them on like a perfect skin mask and also magically becomes their entire body shape. It's ludicrous, but it's so much fun because it knows it's ludicrous. The practical and special effects are so good and it really aims for creativity when it comes to its kills. And it's like it knows that that's what the bulk of horror audiences actually care about. Every death in Wishmaster is outrageous and imaginative and that makes it easy to ignore any narrative flaws or subpar acting, which this movie kind of has both of. 
it doesn't matter that the story is ridiculous or that the movie cashes in on the Wes Craven and Robert Kurtzman horror connections because everything comes together so perfectly. This is almost an 80s horror movie that came out several years too late to actually be considered a true contender to the other cheesy horror movies of the 80s. And considering this movie came out the same year as The Lost World Jurassic Park, it feels like a retro throwback. The djinn, in all of his ghastly, sadistic and sarcastic glory, is a monster that belongs with the great horror icons of Hollywood. He has a mesmerisingly powerful physical presence and voice, and this is all thanks to Andrew Devoff, but when Nathaniel Demarest, the djinn's human mask, appears, he gets to channel old Hollywood and play a far more Vincent Price-esque kind of villain. And Andrew Devoff pulls off both spectacularly. And while it seems like Tammy Lawrence takes were just her screaming or looking shocked, she's a competent heroine against Andrew Devoff's gin. And seeing a final showdown between the final girl and the bad guy that doesn't involve a woman fighting a monster in some skimpy clothing is actually quite refreshing. Wishmaster's villain isn't a fisticuffs kind of guy, so to beat him, you have to join him. And this is where the movie is predisposed to be a contest of wits. And as I said, it's refreshing to see a female lead in a monster movie like this who is defined by her brains for the sake of the narrative as a whole. That doesn't mean she's the perfect character because this is a movie written by a guy and this is despite the idea that because she changes the past, she suddenly then wants to date her friend and that's not how it works. <laughs> but Hollywood's got to have its happy ending. It is impossible not to go into Wishmaster and just have gory, gruesome fun. In fact, I would put money on that someone in Hollywood wished for a nice family-friendly genie movie and the gin answered and that's how we ended up with this twisted, gory, fun, macabre movie instead. Because if this movie teaches us anything, it's fear one thing in all there is. Fear the gin. Thank you for listening. As always, I would love to hear your thoughts on Wishmaster and as always, if you have enjoyed this podcast, please take a moment, get involved and help this podcast grow. And you can do that by leaving a rating or review wherever you found this podcast. You can follow me on social media, on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Threads, Blue Sky and Letterboxd at Verbal Diorama. And you can also tell friends and family about this podcast. And if you did like this episode on Wishmaster, you might also like... The following episode, one of my absolute favourites, if you like cheesy, campy, silly horror, regular listeners are going to know what I'm going to recommend. It is Tales from the Crypt Demon Knight because it's, again, excellent practical effects. There's a great final girl. There's a really fun villain who quips and is just incredibly mesmerising to watch. The similarities between Wishmaster and Tales from the Crypt Demon Knight are probably why I love both of those movies actually fairly equally. They're both just really fun and they both don't seem to get the audience that they deserve. So if you're a fan of Wishmaster, please go and hunt out Tales from the Crypt Demon Knight. And if you're a fan of Tales from the Crypt Demon Knight, you need to be watching Wishmaster because there's a lot of fun in both of those movies. And as always, let me know what you think of my recommendations. So we're going to carry on with the horror theme and next episode, we're actually going to be going back to Steven Spielberg. Now, I've done a lot of Spielberg recently, but this time it's something he wrote and produced, but didn't direct. Or did he? Hmm. And this is a movie that I'm genuinely terrified of. 
I don't do a lot of horror on this podcast because horror genuinely frightens me. And there's obviously different levels of horror. Something like Wishmaster I find incredibly fun and incredibly silly. And I just enjoy it for the practical effects and the gruesomeness and the fact it's really cheesy. But a movie like Poltergeist, which is going to be the next episode, genuinely terrified me the first time I ever saw it. And I have not seen it since. So I'm going into this with maybe 20 years later, watching Poltergeist again. This is the 1982 original Poltergeist, by the way. So the next episode of this podcast, I'm going to be doing the history and legacy of Poltergeist. And I'm going to have to watch it again. And I'm really scared. <laughs> I just need someone to hold my hand and watch Poltergeist with me. But I'm going to do it. I'm going to get through it. And then I'm going to bring you the history and legacy of Poltergeist next week. So please come back for that. And a huge thank you for listening and supporting this podcast just by listening. This podcast is free and it always will be free. And I can't stress that enough. But if you do want to help this podcast out financially, if you get any value from these episodes at all, and you have a spare dollar or so in your back pocket, then you can support this podcast financially at either verbaldiorama.com slash tips, where you can give a one-off tip, or verbaldiorama.com slash Patreon, and you can join the amazing patrons of this podcast. Simon E, Sade, Claudia, Simon B, Laurel, Derek, Vern, Kat, Andy, Mike, Luke, Michael, Scott, Brendan, Lisa, Sam, Jack, Dave, Stuart, Nicholas, Zoe, Kev, Pete, Heather, Danny, Ali, Tyler, Stu, Brett, Philip, Michelle, and Russell. I also do have a merch store as well. It's verbaldiorama.com slash merch. You can get in touch with me at verbaldiorama at gmail.com. You can say hi. You can give me feedback or suggestions. Or you can fill out the contact form at verbaldiorama.com. And you can also find what I do at filmstories.co.uk as well. And finally. Is Mr. Beaumont expecting you? I asked you a question, sir. Am I expected? Yes. I wouldn't be here if it weren't for Mr. Beaumont. Well, that sounds good. But it doesn't sound like an invitation. I don't care what it sounds like. Step aside. Let me make this real simple for you. Your name isn't on the list. You don't get in. Yeah. I've dealt with your type before. Mister, you never even met my type before. I am going through that door. And you will not stop me. Is that perfectly clear, Dorman? Dorman? The name is Valentine. Johnny Valentine. You remember that when they asked, how you lost your eye? Forgive my brashness. My eagerness for the endgame has skewed my judgment. I'll make you a deal. I don't make deals. What else do you have to do? Tonight, I keep assholes out of parties. Bye. Movie should know, movie should talk Critical sequels, remakes, and trivia when I tell you Movie should know, movie should talk Interesting stories, all the Hey there, classmates. Tune in to Middle Class Film Class every Monday and Wednesday for weekly movie news, streaming picks, and one deep dive review. The Batman trailer. There was a teaser. There was a trailer. Trailer 1, trailer 2. Final trailer? I don't know if it's the same one. 
How many trailers do we need? Exactly. Leave an email or a voicemail to join in the discussion. Bullshit artist! Uh, <laughs> yeah, buddy! All That's right. awesome. You're going full Danzig. That's right, I am. My, my trans yeah, has no power over me. me. <laughs> <laughs>